G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the uh, combined round 14 review and part round 15 preview as Footy Fest Mark II gets underway. We have uh, three games in round 15 before we uh, speak to you again, so we'll be previewing them once we've worked our way through the eight games in round 14, of course, kicking off last Thursday night. Yep, hard to keep your head around what games are on when and uh, who's playing who, but we'll do our best. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Good, sort of. Rocco, how are you? When I say sort of, oh boy, days roll into days, weeks into weeks. We could be anywhere. Hard to believe that we are about to head into September, which should have been finals action with Melbourne alive and a buzz, but far from it, far from it. Yes, well, of course, uh, in another uh, football code, the A-League Grand Final on as we record this show. And uh, I dare say we're not the only ones who weren't aware it was on until about 24 hours ago. So um, if you're a fan of Sydney FC or Melbourne City, and you're hearing this, no, it'll be over. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> it's been that sort of season, really. I actually watched a lot of Yard League until all this stuff got in the way. Never mind. Uh, there's always next season. What'd you make of the footy this weekend? Oh, what did I make of the football? Um, frustrating as a fan of St Kilda. Second sort of week in a row, close loss, but this time only themselves to blame. Otherwise, pretty pedestrian, actually. I've got to be honest, this weekend, pretty pedestrian. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the better games or the more eventful games were probably on Thursday and Friday, yes. weren't they? So Yeah, uh, definitely. Well, we've got the good material up front then because we, we will make our way chronologically through the round, but not before we give a very well-deserved shout-out to our wonderful sponsors, Finey. Have you had dinner yet, Rowan? Uh, I actually have. I'm usually early oh, for me. Yeah, I haven't. And usually late. <laughs> what I would do for it. I'd love an Andrews burger now, seriously. Oh, just some melted cheese on top of the beef, the perfect buns, the salad. Oh, no, you're torturing me, mate. You should do this promo. It's not fair for a hungry man. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Oh, I could go. Hey. You know what I did have on the weekend? What? No sugar Coke. I had to find it. Bloody good. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's Ma- all, the, all the taste of a regular Coca-Cola, but without those nasty killer jewels. No, really? Because I, I had veered away from such products because their previous attempts, Diet Coke and Coke Zero, had that sort of fake taste to it. But I tell you what, I could go a no sugar Coke with my Andrews burger and some chippies. 
Well, it's definitely available at Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, of course, at the moment, if you're in the vicinity, a five-kilometre radius. And, uh, gee, uh, some people are sailing close to the breeze on those things. I read a story today about some guy who has been fined on something like 19 separate occasions. And given it's a $1,600 fine every time, the guy is either at, well, he's obviously a complete cretin, but he must be a pretty rich cretin to be able to afford those sort of fines. Yeah, I've got a feeling he's um, probably not the full quid and probably doesn't have the full quid to pay up because seriously, uh, you're, only, you're only being selfish if you're doing that sort of thing. I tell you what he doesn't have, I know as a fact, because he wouldn't have the wherewithal to have a beautiful Nick Spartels built West Point property, I tell you that much. Well, he obviously not, because if you did have your You'd home renovated by West Point properties, you'd never want to leave the place. Lockdown or stage four is a lot more comfortable in a West Point property development built by Nick Spartels in the southeastern Melbourne suburbs. Make the best of your land and go to West Point Properties. Let's get back to the footy, Roko. Well, just remember, too, that the next global pandemic we have, you want to make sure your house is very livable. Uh, we're all in practice now. I wonder when the next one will be. I'm certainly looking forward to those six months. All right. Time to talk footy. A big round. Let's uh, crack down into juicy detail on every game. On Footyology. Wrap around. Okay, round 14 kicked off on Thursday afternoon, believe it or not, uh, 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it was those old rivals from the 80s, Hawthorne and Essendon. And, uh, well, I've got to tell you, I was thinking back to the 1980s, in fact, uh, specifically the 1984 Grand Final, because a very similar thing happened, i.e. Hawthorne got out to a five-goals-plus lead, in fact, six goals before they were reeled in by the fast-finishing Dons, who ended up 16-point victors, 13 goals, 9, 87, defeating the Hawks, 10-11, 71. A triumphant return for Joe Danaher, who led the goal-kicking with three, two to McDonald, Tippen Woody, two to Stringer, two to Hooker, and two to Clark for the Hawks, two to Howe, two to Scully, Two to Jack Gunston. Well, this is an amazing game, Fonny, because I reckon that first half is as poor a half of footy as Essendon has played all season. And uh, that's quite a big call because they've stunk it up a few times lately. But they were terrible. They were lackluster. Their um, uh, handballs were missing targets. Uh, Hawthorne was picking off every inside 50. I think it was nine intercept uh, marks to nothing in that first half. And the Hawks, to their credit, made the most of every opportunity. Got out to a six-goal lead at halftime. And there was no sign at all that Essendon was going to get back into the contest. But as soon as the second half started, boy, did the wheel turn. Hooker kicked things off for the Dons. And then Stringer. And then Danaher. And then McDonald, Tip and Woody. James Stewart got one right on a three-quarter time siren, which made the difference only nine points. That was a pretty critical goal in the context. And then the Dons added the first three of the final quarter to Hooker, Clark and Langford. 
Uh, Hawthorne uh, kept hanging in there. Tom Scully dribbled one through and cut the Bombers' lead to four points. But it was Essendon finishing all over the Hawks in the end. Danaher with two of the last three goals that the Dons kicked. Clark, the other one, and 16-point victors keeps them alive in the finals race. And Joe Danaher, that was some return to footy finding. Oh, what a difference the key forward makes. Not only because of the scoreboard um, contribution that Big Joe made, three goals, very meaningful, including the match-winning left foot snap that turned into a left foot torp. What a kick that was. But also because he gives a, he's a beacon for players up the ground to kick the ball into a dangerous position in the forward line. And if he contests, and of course, at his height, uh, his contesting generally means either he marks it or the ball comes to ground. Now, when you've got that return from a full forward, you start to be able to build a forward line around it that is dangerous. Now, look, I admit, Mo Orazio Fantasia does dilute the danger of the forward line, but you've still got a good return. Um, Clark bobbed up. Certainly, McDonald, Tip and Woody is better for having somebody that he can work to the feet of. And ultimately, it's a much better looking forward line. Also, Stewart becomes the second key forward gets off the train a couple of times. He's quite a good foil, isn't he? I don't think he's great as the leading man, but not bad as a um, second banana, right? No, I agree. And that was sort of the role that Mitch Brown played for them last year. So hooker forward uh, gives you a target. Yeah, and you've gone from having no targets at all to uh, Danaher, Hooker and Stewart and Stringer. Um, It does make a big difference. I thought Andy McGrath was fantastic for the Dons, particularly in that third quarter. I think he had 12 possessions alone in the third term. Um, One of Zach Merritt's best games of the year too. He racked up the touches. Uh, Dylan Shield, pretty reasonable. And uh, Kyle Langford being a very, very consistent performer for the Dons this year. I think this this season might be the making of him. For the Hawks, well, gee, it's turning into a pretty bleak sort of season. Very un-Hawthorne-like to give up that sort of league. Um, the sad sight of Jonathan Patton being injured yet again. Um, and uh, that'll be curtains for him for what's been a, a miserable first year in the brown and gold. Um, and a bit of a same old story for them. Just couldn't find enough midfield and uh, not enough up forward either. Are you getting a sense that this season can't finish quick enough for Hawthorne? I am indeed. I've got to say that, Alistair Clarkson about six weeks ago said that Hawthorne were not adjusting or finding it difficult to play their best football out of hub life, which was an odd comic given that that is the dynamic facing all clubs at some point or another during the season. And yeah, if there's one team I think that can't hit the finish line quick enough, it's the Hawthorne Footy Club. No doubt about that. The Bombers, uh, well, let's have a look at their run home. Uh, It's tough. It is bloody tough, actually. They've got West Coast on Tuesday. They've got Geelong. They've got Port Adelaide. And then they've got Melbourne to finish off. You wouldn't put them over the line in any of those games. And in fact, at best, you could probably only tip them in one out of the four. Do you think they've got any chance at all of making the eight? No, but that doesn't mean they can't play their best football spearing out of this season 
with uh, really competitive games against. Look, if they if they took Geelong to the last quarter, that would be one of their better games of the season. I did hear though that um, the club is going to be pretty conservative in the usage of Danaher over the next four games. So we can't expect Joe to just line up in all four. No, and uh, I think that would seem to indicate that they don't think they've got much of a show of making the eight either, which, to be honest, in some respects, might not be a bad thing. I think Essendon supporters are pretty heartily sick of limping into the top eight and getting spanked in the elimination (laughs) final. So uh, might as well uh, put it to good use in terms of preparing for next season. All right, uh, that is the first leg of the Thursday doubleheader. Let's talk about the big one. Second leg of the Thursday doubleheader and an eagerly awaited matchup. A lot of people tipping this as a grand final preview. It was Richmond taking on West Coast and it resulted in uh, not emphatic, but a um, impressive win to the Tigers in the finish by 27 points. Very accurate, the Tigers. 14 goals, 4, 88, defeating West Coast, 9, 7, 61. The goals, Lynch 3, Martin 2, and then a host of single goal kickers. In fact, the Tigers finishing with 11 individual goal kickers. Always a good sign. And the Eagles, just the five goal kickers. Three goals each to Darling and Flying Ryan and singles to Cripps, Kelly, Natanui. Well, this is a great uh, a great contest for the first half. The Tigers only a goal up at the long break, but uh, just managed to assert their authority in the third term with six goals. The Eagles still hanging on, four goals, four, uh, but then grinding out a good win in the finish with another three in the final term and holding the Eagles to just the solitary Goal. Uh, terrific performances from some of the senior men for the Tigers. Number least, Trent Cochin and Dusty Martin. Uh, Basha Hooley, also really impressive off half back. And some major pluses too, finally. The AFL's most improved player, it's fair to say, Shy Bolton. Terrific in the midfield once again. Noah Bolter looking increasingly the goods as a long term key position defender. Uh, Jason Castagna, pretty handy as well as that small pressure forward. Uh, not a lot went right for the Eagles. Josh Kennedy um, taking a heavy blow early in the piece and coming off with concussion. And that really seemed to throw out the balance of that whole Eagles forward setup. Uh, Tim Kelly soldiered on pretty impressively. Andrew Gaff was okay. Shuey and Sheed, not bad. So it wasn't like their midfield got smashed. But uh, ultimately, you don't say this often about the Eagles, but not enough weapons up forward. And Richmond, well, they really know how to make the most of their opportunities. And uh, I just think this could be the start of their wind-up to a typically powerhouse finish to the season finding. How do you see it? Yeah, well, coming into the game, they didn't know how to make the best of their opportunities, did they? Their last couple of games were uncharacteristically profligate in the forward 50. But you know that Richmond are going to straighten up and that is... It's probably a good problem to have, that you're getting the ball into your 50 a lot. When you're a team like the Tigers, with Lynch and Rewalt, Castagna, and, of course, the ace 
up your sleeve, Dustin Martin, to throw forward, you know that uh, you're going to be able to correct that imbalance or that unlikely, unusual statistic pretty well. And they did that against the Eagles. You know what I felt that win against the Eagles was? Why? It was because it was a heavyweight clash. Very important that Richmond won it because they need to finish top four. No doubt about it. This was a game, uh, take no prisoners, must win. It was a bit of the blueprint that Richmond used for major matches that served them so breathtakingly well in the 2017 final series. And that is a tight, fiercely contested first half with sort of ascendancy gained, but then the ability to spend to use Dustin Martin more forward in the second half. So just to put the um, foot down with Dustin up forward, give him some space up forward. And, you know, he creates not only for himself opportunities, but for others because they become very conscious of Dustin Martin. So I thought that similar in a way to the way they won some finals or all the finals in 2017. And you're right, Bolter, brilliant. Bolton, brilliant. Baker, brilliant. All in different roles to previous seasons. So the killer bees are landing the killer blows, aren't they? The one thing West Coast would say, yeah, but. Yeah, but, you know, Kennedy went off early. Yeah, but we didn't have Oscar Allen. Yeah, but we didn't have Waterman. So there is still some... um, the, the, the argument isn't completely settled, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. Um, and we look, we've been, well, I've been banging on about this since early in the piece. So, look, uh, a much better side with Allen and Waterman as part yeah. of that forward equation. And, yeah, you're, uh, a big, you're a big fan of that setup, aren't you? And rightly so. Yeah, and the loss of Kennedy, I think, just sort of underscored that. So, yeah, look, it's not, I don't think it's a defeat which will. Uh, you know, have supporters of their flag credentials trembling. Um, but, of course, they need to keep winning too. Although, uh, even on that score, the onus is probably less on them to to earn a top four spot than usual, isn't it? Because home finals, unlikely, well, we think, unlikely to be a huge part of that equation. Although, who knows? I mean, like, we, uh, we're due to hear the grand final venue announced in the next couple of days. But uh, of course the um, precursing three weeks of finals, those venues are going to be of some significance as well. Um, The COVID situation is rapidly changing in Queensland and, you know, they're starting to have some communal outbreaks that, may make their bid less tenable. So who knows? Even once the announcement's made what the future holds, it's it's a – the goalposts are moving at a rapid rate, aren't they? Oh, don't do that to us. Yeah, I, I don't think I can handle another, you know, sort of halt to the season now we've got this far. That would be the end of us all in Victoria. We're barely hanging on as it is. Um. All right, so an ominous-looking Richmond uh, just starting to power into gear. That is Thursday night. Let's talk about Friday night. Well, this was a game a lot of people were looking forward to as well, and it didn't disappoint at all. A really entertaining contest. 
with a suitably tight finish. In the end, Geelong getting up over the Western Bulldogs by 11 points after trailing most of the evening in the finish. 10 goals, 12, 72, defeating the Bulldogs 9-7-61. And in fact, Geelong only five goals at three-quarter time managed to kick as many in the final term as they had for the first three quarters. It was a powerful finish by the Cats, who um, got a bit of a fright, but still had enough in the tank to squeeze over the line. For the victors, two goals to Myers, two to Hawkins, and two to Rowan, singles to Stanley, O'Connor, Dalhouse, and Duncan. For the Bulldogs, Aaron Norton, their only multiple goal kicker, uh, gee, the Bulldogs will be kicking themselves finally. They couldn't have asked for a better start. Six goals up by quarter time. Six three to three points. They're playing some absolutely outstanding footy. Uh, Dunkley and everything early. Bontempelli looking terrific. Um, getting great runoff halfback. Even Hayden Crozier sneaking forward to kick a goal. They had Geelong absolutely beaten to a crisp, so it appeared. But the Cats working their way back into the contest with three goals in that second term, coming within a couple of goals by the final change and then all over the doggies in the finish. Gary Rowan, in particular, terrific in that final term. Paddy Dangerfield, outstanding for the victors. Massive second half, ended up with 32 disposals. Cam Guthrie, what a terrific season he has had, Finey, and really stepped up and filled that breach left by the departure of Tim Kelly, Tom Stewart, the general down in defence, and Tomahawk uh, having a marvellous season as well. A couple of big goals to him and uh, gave a couple away as well. So, gee, their senior men, uh, and don't forget Joel Selwood's still not part of the equation. Their senior men are really holding them in good stead. And uh, the doggies, well, uh, looking pretty uh, delicate for them outside the eight now in 10th spot on the ladder. And uh, no easy run home either with Brisbane. Oh, sorry, they've got the bye next week, but West Coast to come after that. So, going to have their work cut out for them, Finey. Oh, yeah. Look, when you're six goals up against a really well-credentialed opponent, you know that there's going to be a response. And I think that this win, Frank's Geelong as a premiership contender, as much as those great wins over Port Adelaide and St Kilda, to come from six goals behind against a team like the Bulldogs is a very impressive result. How do they do that? Well, first of all, and interestingly, uh, I can't remember who it was, got interviewed at quarter time, one of the Geelong players. And that, that's, by the way, been something good about the coverage this year, both on Fox and on Channel 7, quite um, quite sort of uh, free access to players and coaches during the game. And without panic, the player said, no, we know what we did wrong. Coaches told us we now have to get back to the game plan that we agreed upon before the match. I think it was and Mitch Duncan. Spot on. It was great memory. And didn't they quickly do that? You almost didn't see Bontempelli for two quarters. So obviously they had a plan for him. But really, the only of the Bulldogs midfielders that was having a real say on the game consistently, I thought, for four quarters was Lockie Hunter. So they did a pretty good job 
lockdown job on key players. And they also had a obviously a plan for Mitch Wallace, who they identified as the real danger. And Mitch had probably his worst game in, in the last eight. On the other side of the ledger, I think you've summed it up pretty well. Tomahawk, he's a powerhouse. Even when he's not scoring goals, those deft touches are so telling. Gary Rowan, brilliant. It was uh, a really good night for Luke Dalhouse and his claims for a spot in the best 22. I think almost confirming that, the ex-doggy. In fact, I would say to a man, this was a great result for every person involved with Geelong, except for one bloke, Asava Radagalia, whose position in the side now, I think, is not even a jeopardy. It doesn't exist. That forward line is well and truly catered for without his height and with Gary Rowan coming powerfully out of the goal square, uh, you don't really need the big salve. So, unfortunate for him, but the structure looks a lot better without him. As I say, I think Geelong, Frank, their credentials, they were a real premiership contender now. They've done it all the way against the likes of Port Adelaide and from behind against the Doggies. You couldn't be more impressive. No, well, second on the ladder now. They've played the extra game, of course. Uh, Brisbane level on points with them having played one fewer. The Cats have got uh, the bye coming up. And uh, then Essendon, Richmond and Sydney. So certainly going to start favourite in at least two of those three games. So uh, you'd say they're pretty certain of winning one of those top four spots on the ladder. Yep. The, the Doggies... Well, like I said, they're in 10th spot. They're level on points with Melbourne, who are 8th, but they have played the extra game, one more than the two teams immediately above them on the same points, that is Melbourne and GWS. And their run home is the bye, West Coast, Hawthorne and Fremantle. So uh, it's going to be a really, really tight race for that 8th spot. But at this stage, ooh, gee, they'd have to make every post a winner to get there, I think. So pretty costly loss for them. All right, that is Thursday and Friday evening. Time to move on to Saturday. Saturday afternoon, Port Adelaide took on Sydney at Adelaide Oval and the power, not overly impressive of late, uh, apart from that win over Richmond. Uh, and this was a game which sure, certainly caused them some grief in the past, most memorably, a qualifying final uh, in Adelaide back in 2003. I don't know why I just thought of that because Sydney has upset them on several notable occasions, but not this time. Uh, the Swans doing it pretty tough these days. Port Adelaide, in the end, a good win by 26 points, 11 goals, 7, 73, defeating the Swans, 7, 5, 47. Looking pretty potent up forward, the powerhouse that is the big bearded man mountain, Charlie Dixon. He was very, very imposing in this game. Finished up with four goals. Great forward target for them. Robbie Gray kicked a couple singles the rest. Uh, just quickly on Gray, what an outstanding opening term he played. For Sydney, two goals to Sam Reid and singles the rest. Look, they gave it a crack early, the Swans. Only a goal down at quarter time, but uh, four goals to nothing. Literally scoreless in the second term of Swans. And uh, it was a pretty foregone conclusion from that moment on, Finey. Yeah, but no, no, not really. Rowan, I've got to say, they got within three goals, Sydney. 
in the second and the last quarter and, you know, Dixon ended up kicking a goal and steadying the ship. But Sydney, really, with some pretty clever tactical changes, they moved Sinclair forward. The big one for me was Tom McCartan going backwards and went behind centre. You know, I understand that um, needs have meant that uh, Tom McCartan's had to play forward. Pretty hard role for the young fella. I reckon he'd be a great... He, he already looks like a really good key position backman. And, you know, depending on the availability of Franklin next year or recruiting a big key forward, I think that's where McCartan's best future is. So, you know, there were some heart palpitations. The scoring had dried up for Port Adelaide. You know, six goals had become three goals. They did steady up. They won the game. Robbie Gray, I think that was probably his best game of the year. Ollie Wines, powerful in the midfield. I know Rockliffe got a lot of the ball, but don't know whether he's that damaging when he gets it. But certainly when you've got the likes of Robbie Gray and Wines, their creativity and power and ability to break the lines uh, makes them a hard unit, make, makes that midfield unit far more imposing. Uh, I think I can't speak highly enough of Robbie Gray, the footballer, but I think he needs to play some time in the guts because he can get a little bit cold, even though he's still capable of always kicking a great goal down there in Starvation Corner. Charlie Dixon, it almost reads as though if Charlie's up and about, Port get the points. And while they were able to muscle their way past Sydney Swans, uh, it's very important that when they play finals and when they come up against, you know, some of the big key defenders in the competition, the likes of Harris Andrews, now Noah Bolter with Dylan Grimes assisting, obviously Barras and McGovern at the West Coast Eagles. And Mark Blitzams has had a great year at Geelong. The question is, is Dixon good enough to kick four or five goals against them? I think that's a huge question mark that hangs over them. I don't think he is. He's played well, but I just don't think he's got it over the best in the comp. So it was a good win. Bank the points. They've got a pretty soft draw for the rest of the year. They're a top four, certainly. But I'm not convinced about Port Adelaide. As for Sydney, Jake Kennedy's a good player. I thought he played really well. And remember, he's missed, you know, he only came back last game. That's not even, I don't even know if that's a full week ago. So he's certainly been missed. And when we talk about all the forwards they've had out, we should also note that Kennedy's missed a big chunk of the season. Yeah, it's um, Port's draw. They've got the bye next week. They've got North Melbourne, Essendon and Collingwood. So I wouldn't say it's a soda. What is interesting, though, is it's pretty rare, I reckon, that a side this uh, close to finals time is on top of the ladder and yet is only fifth in terms of premiership betting. Um, as we speak, Richmond, the flag favourites from Geelong and West Coast, both equal second favourite, Brisbane, and then Port Adelaide, a couple of dollars uh, further back. Brisbane's paying six fifty, Port Adelaide eight fifty. So um, there's not a lot of faith in their capacity to go the distance, which... You know, I, I think goes as much to the fact uh, we just don't see them as an experienced finals team. I'll tell you what, though, they're a great side to watch. I really enjoy watching them, and particularly so when the young guys are on. 
and um, you know, and not, got... and not falling over. Yeah, well, that was a that was a comical moment from uh, everyone knows it's butters, wasn't it? But uh, that, that was very butters like. Kudos to Ken Hinckley for having faith in the likes of Butters and Rosie and, and Dersma. Um, you know, they and and even a guy like Carl Amon, who's been around a while now, but has really turned into an important player for them. So um, I tell you what, I'd be pretty happy if they went well this final series. I enjoy watching them play. I think they're one for the neutrals to hop on the bandwagon off perhaps this uh, September, unless you barrack for the, the Crows, of course, <laughs> in which case you will have just heard me say that and be gasping for breath. That's the last thing you'd be thinking of doing. Are, are you uh, suggesting their future is rosy? Uh, it is indeed. It is indeed. Nice pun. Uh, okay, that is enough on that game. Let's move on to the second of three games on Saturday. Okay, Saturday Twilight, uh, another critical game in terms of the top eight. Fremantle taking on Greater Western Sydney. And it was GWS prevailing in the end very comfortably by 38 points, 14 goals, 7, 91 defeating the Dockers 8-5-53. Four goals to Jake Riccardi. Wow. As, what an impressive first two games of league footy he's played. Four goals to Jeremy Cameron. Two to Hill. Singles to Himmelberg, Taranto, Green and Daniels. for the Dockers. Two each to Mundy and Tabiner. Singles the rest. And finally, uh, to quote Trailer Park Boys, it's not often I say a told us so. But I told us all. Uh, effing told us all. I just, this is a thing with the Giants. They have the capacity to look terrible and then the next week come out and look great. And in fact, they didn't look terrible last week. They finished full of running against the Eagles. And I took that to be a bit of a, a portent of things to come. And I'm glad I did because this was the Giants at their very impressive, skillful, um, and potent best. And, uh, Jake Riccardi, funny how impressive is he? It's funny, isn't it? Look, very impressive. And this is not a player that um, GWS were gifted as part of their ongoing sweetened deal from the AFL with many top draft picks that even resonates today because of their ability to trade players out and get top picks. No, this was a player that everybody could have picked up in last season's mid-season draft. Everybody overlooked him. Went back to play for Werribee in the VFL. GWS took a shot on a Melbourne kid. And it says something about modern football that when you play your first two games, Rowan, and kick two and four goals, you have exploded onto the AFL scene as a major goal kicker. Because let's be honest, at an average of three goals a game, had he played all season and kept that average up, He'd be bolting home in the Coleman medal. Oh, God, what a season we're having. Still, he was very impressive. Gets out on a lead. And you know what, Roko? What? You can't beat a kid with a good goal-kicking action. And every time he lines up for goal, you think, yep, he's going to kick it. Makes a big difference to uh, sort of players that you don't have that confidence in. And Jeremy Cameron was good. Sort of allowed him to roam further afield, which I reckon he likes doing, by the way. I reckon when he gets on his bike, he expresses himself better. 
he's pretty mobile. He's quite quick, Jeremy Cameron, and he certainly doesn't mind chewing off a long-distance kick of goal. So uh, that was functional. Look, Fremantle came at them just after half-time. He's a real evergreen, isn't he, David Mundy? Got a pair of goals to put them within sniffing distance, 14 points, but that was well and truly extinguished. Josh Kelly, he had started the game well, and not for the first time, Mumford took out one of his own. And may I say, probably Mumford's best game of what some people are calling one season too many, but actually he was very good. So Taranto benefited from Mumford, Camillo benefited. I've mentioned them all, but I haven't mentioned the best player on ground because I reckon, Rowan, you're right, GWS, we know they're capable of very good football. And when they're playing at their best, I can almost pin, and I'm not saying he's a front runner, I'm saying he is the the man that makes them look good. Lockie Whitfield off that halfback flank. Now, there's the difference. When he is at his imperious best, boy, they get some incisive delivery into that midfield and down into the forward line. So I'm not surprised he was best on ground. And yeah, you told me so. He was, uh, he was very good. Mumford, um, I wonder if Mumford got a, a real spur from having his jumper ripped and playing for the next 10 minutes. Uh, as I think uh, Daniel Cherney posted on Twitter, uh, separated at birth with Mumford and Wilma Flintstone wearing the off-the-shoulder number also in orange. <laughs> it, was a, it was a very good uh, comparison, actually. But uh, it's, like he, it's, it's like he um, sort of... Um, knocked back any efforts to clothe him. He felt far more comfortable parading around very caveman-like. And let's be honest, that's how he plays his football. So It, remi- it reminded me of some footage uh, Channel 7 used to... Oh, actually, it might be in the clip for up there, Kazali. I think it's uh, Bruce Monteith of Richmond running through the Waverley Centre Square with no jumper on at all, having had it ripped yeah. off. Um, but, uh, there, was that yeah. famous, there was that famous... I think it was from the sandful of, of a sandful player breaking clear just in his jock strap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it, was yeah, yeah. A, it was a ground level shot and he'd been, you know, backed, but continued on and, and <laughs> sort of this pounding kick of a man wearing the old fashioned J strap. I don't know why, but I'm thinking Michael H for some reason. Anyway, um, yeah, and the other thing about Mumford is that. He his capacity to hurt and maim opponents, and no one ever seems to call him out for it. Everyone always the commentators always have this sort of giggle about it. Ah, <laughs> uh, is mummy being mummy again? Oh, look, he's just crushed the all the air out of that guy's lungs and crushed his spleen to a pulp. Ah, <laughs> it's just mummy. He eats a oh, lot I, of sausages, do you know? Oh, I've never laughed at it. But when he was at his most threatening best, he hit some packs pretty late with some pretty bad intentions. But you know what? He obviously worked out within the parameters of the rules of the game that a late-arriving Mumford Express didn't qualify for enough points to get him rubbed out, and he plays a very hard man's game on the edge. More power to him, unfortunately. And I reckon he copped somebody last week as well, one of his own teammates. Can't remember who it was. But this week, he really delivered the KO blow to Josh Kelly, didn't he? 
Now, uh, just on, on their run home, uh, gee, it's going to be tight. But uh, I think we, on Final Siren, I think on Thursday or Friday night, someone asked us who we thought would make the eight. And I ended up going for GWS. They've got Carlton, Adelaide, Melbourne and St Kilda in the last four weeks. Now, given that Carlton are just about out of contention now, oh, maybe not, maybe not. But you'd expect them to, to beat Carlton. They will beat Adelaide. Uh, that game against Melbourne looking potentially like an elimination final. And dare I say it, Finey, but your Saints having now lost oh, the yeah. last couple, um, they've got the Giants in the last round. That could be, that an, could elimination be an elimination final. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It could. Uh, so uh, interesting times for that bottom end of the eight. And the Giants sitting ninth on 28 points, level with Melbourne. Fair percentage gap, though. Melbourne on 111.75% and the Giants 101.76%. All right. We mentioned Melbourne and St Kilda. And uh, it's a very nice segue because they played in Alice Springs on Saturday evening. Let's talk about that. Well, this is a very entertaining game. Cracking contest with a suitably thrilling finale. Not a high-scoring game by any means. And once again, sorry to say, Finey, your Saints went under in a nail-biter by three points. Melbourne, eight goals, four, 52. Defeating the Saints, 7-7-49. No doubt who made the difference on the scoreboard. It was that man, Petrarca, with four goals. Two goals to Wiedemann, singles to Brown and Gorn, and all singles for the Saints. Uh, Melbourne got off to a pretty good start, four goals straight to 1-3. And that probably ended up being the match-winning burst, to be honest. Uh, very tight thereafter. St Kilda almost level by half-time. Uh, two goals each in the third term and one goal each in the final quarter. Of course, a finish laced with controversy. Petrarca's last goal chased manically to the goal line by Dougal Howard, who threw himself at the ball, did get a touch. Uh, the goal umpire did the goal umpire did call it a goal. They threw it upstairs. The guys upstairs said that it had been touched, but no cameras on the goal line meant they couldn't tell whether it was touched before or after the line. Went back to umpire's call and the goal stood. And interesting postscript to that, if you're not across today's news is the AFL issued a statement saying that from now on, every game will have the same uh, cameras in place, including the all-important goal line camera, which you sort of hope, Forney, given they set up the arc last year, that they would have accounted for before they scheduled this game there, which I've got to say sort of staggered me a bit. And I did tweet something to that effect. And everyone came back at me and said, well, they can't blame that. They that's not why they lost. Well, I wasn't saying it was why they lost. I was saying if the AFL was going to have video technology, standardise the equipment for Christ's sake. So uh, hopefully, well, not hopefully, that will be rectified and uh, at least leaves room for no more controversy on that score. How would you say this one? Well, first of all, on that goal line controversy, I agree with yourself. I agree with Brett Ratton. That did not cost St Kilda the game. <laughs> Far from it. St Kilda did, um, what was the name of that guy who played one game? 
was it James, one game for Richmond, the premiership? Oh, Bill James. Yeah, St Kilda did the old Bill James, mate. You know what that is? Shot themselves in the foot. You bet. Boy, oh boy. Getting a little bit frustrating. And what really cost them the game? Because in the latter part of the second quarter, you're right, Petrarca, powerful, got off to a good lead. You know, sometimes you watch the game as a fan and you think, yep, this is not a good night because every set shot they were having, and they were not from dead in front, they were plunking through, weren't they? A couple of great kicks by Petrarca, gone, a very good kick. The previously mentioned Mitch Brown, who'd only played one game for Melbourne, I think round one was recalled. He kicked a great goal from out on the boundary. Let's be honest, even the one that was controversially touched before or after the line by Dougal Howard, that was a heck of a leg break for Petrarca as well. So on one hand, you're feeling, you know, things are rolling nicely, but St Kilda had so many more inside 50s and they killed themselves in the third quarter by three or four times kicking the ball on top of the head of the full forward, either King or Paddy Ryder. They should have been kicking the ball out in front of those players because... As good as Petrarca was, he was not Melbourne's best player. Melbourne's best player was a guy you do not give the opportunity to read the ball in the air. I think he's a little susceptible to a leading forward, and that was borne out in the last quarter when they finally put Membry on him and he got beaten to the dash by Membry. But Stephen May is a superb reader of the ball in the air, and St Kilda played in the Stephen May's hands over and over again. So he was best on ground. I thought Clayton Oliver, who was pretty quiet for the first two and a half quarters, really stood up in the last quarter, as did Viney. Melbourne deserved the win, no doubt about it. St Kilda can rue now a fourth game they've lost by less than a goal. Yes, they did beat Gold Coast by less than a goal, but they've lost four, and that may well cost them their first final appearance in a decade. And as for the well, have you, you know I'm a big fan of Big Lebowski, don't you? I do. I'm going to quote, he's one of the great characters of all time in, in movies. Only a cameo appearance by John Turturro as Jesus Quintana. The He wears a purple onesie and he's a 10-pin bowling aficionado. And after the quarterfinal against... The dude's team was delayed because of whatever. Do you know what he said? Ha! Laughable. Bush League. Absolute Bush League laughable. And that's exactly what the AFL's goal line technology has been from day one. Laughable and Bush League. This has, and I've, I've commented about this years ago. The, in soccer, they did not bring in goal line technology to decide if the ball was over the line until FIFA were guaranteed that any league that brought it in had uniform technology for every ground competing in that competition that used the technology. You know, the ball goes over and it's touched. And what did we have? Two lithographs. I mean, it was bloody embarrassing, those two angles. You know, what were they done by local, in, a local artist 
a painter. Rowan, reaction? Oh, sorry. I was, I was just letting you go. Free for, I thought you were free-forming again. Um, well, it's you certainly hoped that they would have checked on it before they played the game. I mean, I did think the arc was in place that, um, you know, I just assumed that, uh, yeah, okay, so we're, we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to get it right. We'll make sure everyone's got the same equipment. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, like, seriously, the Tom Hawkins poster is now 11 years ago. <laughs> so it's 11 years since we had the, the uh, I guess, the, um, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, crucial event which inspired goal review technology. And we still haven't got it right after 11 years. So uh, Yeah, which club was on the, I was about to swear, which club was on the receiving end of that one? Well, yours, of course. That is that is the historical role of your club in the <laughs> correct. That is, scheme that's... of things. And uh, <laughs> just, just quickly, too, on Clayton Oliver, you're not wrong about him standing up. I saw his hair and I thought he stuck his <laughs> finger in a in a power socket before they ran out or something. It was like it was like Don King or Lloyd Bridges in Flying High after he sniffed too much glue. Um, <laughs> oh dear. I just well, on a couple of things on St Kilda, if I may. Yes. Brad Hill's best game. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, no, he ran and ran and really gave them some drive in that last quarter. I thought he was he was very good. And Maxi King's had a great season. Maybe, you know, it's his first year of footy. The last couple of weeks of training, maybe time for a break. And, and, you know, just manage him for a week, freshen him up for the last assault. All right, Fanny, I want a one-word answer. St Kilda's run home. They've got the bye next round, Hawthorne. Yep. West Coast and GWS. Melbourne has Sydney, Fremantle, GWS and Essendon. Will St Kilda make the top eight? I mean, they can... Both those teams can make it. It's One not, word answer. Not... Will St Kilda make it? Um, yeah. Um, oh, shit. I don't think... I'm, I'm, no. No. <laughs> so your answer is no. Oh, you just made me confront it. Oh, well, good. I should, I should, I should try that more often. Try and just get one-word answers because I at least got it down to five. Um, all right. No, I, I uh, yeah, I don't know, but I didn't ask myself a question. I only asked you. I still, I still uh, think, I still, still think it's been a positive year for the two. Oh but... yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right, that's enough on that game. Uh, let's move to Sunday. No matter where they are on the ladder, no matter where they are in Australia, you certainly don't expect these two rivals to be playing at the Gabba, but that they were, Carlton and Collingwood. And a pretty entertaining stash this was too. In the end, the Pies emerging victorious by 24 points. 10 goals, 12, 72, defeating the Blues, who were goalless for the entire second half, 7-6-48. For the victors, two to Jaden Stevenson, two to Thomas, two to Majacek, and two to Big Mason Cox. For the Blues, two to Eddie Betts, singles the rest. Uh, pretty impressive win by the Pies, finally, particularly when you consider the absentees, which included Dugowie, Howe, Trelaw, and Sidebottom. Probably, well, they'd 
certainly be among their best half dozen players. Uh, and the Blues at stages look like they're ready to really take the initiative, particularly in that second quarter when they added five goals to. But the Pies really took charge after half time, really started to win those midfield contests. Um, and their forward line began to click. And uh, Stevenson, unlike other games this year, really played a prominent role. I thought Cox presented a pretty decent target. Uh, they impressed me in defence too, even without Jeremy Howe. I thought Darcy Moore was fantastic today. And gee, Afani, how impressive is young Isaac Kanor? He is going to be a seriously good player for them. He's got a really cool head, plenty of skill. I thought he was great today for them as well. And of course, Taylor Adams, that bull-like midfielder. Terrific game from him. Josh Dacos looking very accomplished at the level now. And Jamie Elliott, too, he's uh, made a really good fist of a uh, more of a midfield role, and particularly early, I thought he did a lot to keep them in the contest. The Blues, yeah, they'll be disappointed. Uh, Patrick Cripps, just not quite there this season, is he? Didn't really have that much of an influence on proceedings. The better players tended to be the accumulators, I felt, like Kurnow, uh, Sam Walsh, to a degree, Setterfield. Um, and not a lot up forward where Levi Casbolt didn't really fire a shot, uh, nor Mackay. So I reckon uh, yeah, Blues looking pretty shot now as far as the eight goes. I mean, statistically, they're still in it, but I'm not sure they're quite good enough for any, do you? No, they're not. But that doesn't mean, again, that they haven't taken positives out of the season too. I'll tell you what, speaks a lot of Carlton supporters' mindset where uh, I was just having a look on social media as the game ended. Uh, for something else, but it was um, pretty well sort of uh, inhabited by Carlton fans. Didn't care about losing. Didn't care about the season being over. Absolutely frantic about updates on Patrick Cripps, who hurt his knee. Um, not in the same incident, but just after a, a fair bump that took Chris Mayne out. And then shortly afterwards... Um, came off the ground, knee strapped up, good news, back on the field, even though that is not always a guarantee of long-term uh, well-being. But I think uh, we're far enough out of the game now to know that he's got away without any structural damage. So excellent news there. Carlton supporters who, I guess, by the time they hear this, will be far more comfortable with the diagnosis. Uh, obviously, not relaxed immediately post-game a little bit of a cult of personality taking hold of Carlton, but probably a general understanding that this season's over. The future's quite bright, but a lot less bright without Patrick Cripps. Now, as for Collingwood, spot on. Wasn't Jamie Elliott a bit of a revelation in the midfield? And could he be sort of sort of fast-tracked to be like a shy Bolton? Well, because, he's, done, he's done that role a lot this year. He's actually yeah. been a, a far better presence in the midfield than he has up forward. I think he has to stay there, regardless of the returns of Adam Trelaw and Steele Sidebottom. And Sidebottom occasionally takes his turn in the midfield, not so much a midfielder at centre clearances and bounces anymore, uh, centre bounces anymore. But I think Elliot has to stay there. Uh, we've said it before if Cox can be functional, well, that does give them a target. I feel it's like the golfer who's a very good putter, doesn't have to attack the flag, can just put the ball on the green. And same with a good, tall, capable forward. 
you don't have to hit him on the chest. Just put it in his vicinity, and at least there'll be a contest. So, I think well, the, the other sorry, just to chip in, I think the other important thing about having Cox there or a another tall forward presence is that it lets my check play a more natural game for him. I don't think yep. he's a number one sort of marking target. I think he plays better as almost a, a third tall type, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. He's He is best served playing, like, say, Tim Membry from St Kilda, roaming around, still capable of taking a mark, good overhead, but not to be the number one target in terms of a get-out for putting the ball on top of his head. You're spot on there. Carlton looked pretty impotent in that second half, Rowan. And not only will they be hastening the start of next season because of the development this year, but also because they hopefully will welcome back Charlie Curnow. As promising as Harry Mackay is, he hasn't scaled the heights that we know Charlie did uh, up till this season. And that's what you need. You need somebody dangerous in that forward line, don't you? You need somebody with an ability to panic the backman. And whilst Mackay and Casbolt are good marks, they don't draw a crowd. I think it's really about them getting on their bike and getting an opponent to go with them. But Kerno is the guy that can attract a crowd and create opportunities at the drop of the ball. So they'll wait for next year with some optimism, Carlton, but this year is now done and dusted. Yeah, I agree. And uh, finally, to finish off, I want another one-word answer and listen to the question carefully. Yep. Does Collingwood have any chance at all of winning the Premiership? No. Okay. Uh, I agree with you. But, uh, I mean, look, you'd back them in to be making the eight now. They're six points in. They have played the extra game. But uh, that draw against Richmond back in round two is going to end up uh, squeezing him over the line, I think. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Bottom half of the eight. Uh, could see him winning one final. I'm not sure they'd necessarily win any more than that. Uh, but even that is probably a credible effort, to be honest, given the amount of um, key players they've lost to injury throughout the course of the season. All right, uh, only eight games this round. Of course, two teams having the bye. Uh, the final game on Sunday evening. Let's talk about that one now. Final game of round 14, and uh, it was a long-awaited victory for one of these two teams, and it was Gold Coast. And they slaughtered North Melbourne. 12 goals, 19, 91, 31 scoring shots to North Melbourne's poultry. Four goals, four, 28. The Roos held to just three behinds for the entire second half. 4-1 at halftime, 4-4 at the finish. For the victors, four goals to Sexton, two goals to King, and two goals today for the Roos. Two to things of Mason Wood. I, I had to get that in at least once this year. Uh, Hall and Zerha, the other goal kickers. But uh, really ugly stuff for the Roos. And uh, look, good to see the Suns. They've been knocking on the door without getting the results. And in fact, they'd only won one game in their last nine prior to this one. But uh, able to get another W on the board in emphatic fashion, finally. The Ruse, well, you know what? I think the 
tale of this game for me was told early in the piece when the camera cut up to the grandstand and sitting there in the grandstand for the Roos was Ben Brown, Ben Cunnington. Uh, who else was there? Jared Pollock. Ben Jacobs. Uh, I thought you were Ben run. Yeah, well, I'm having it's so long since he played. I'm having trouble remembering what he looked like. Um, and uh, Jasper Pittard as well. So I'm not sure North can be, uh, well, of course, obviously most of them injured, but uh, Pittard and Pollock weren't. I'm not sure they can be affording to leave players of that calibre out of their lineup. Uh, and I think you might have seen the impact of that. They're pretty young team ripped apart by a side that, in fact, in list terms, is even younger. So good result for the Suns, but uh, pretty demoralising stuff for the Roos, Fawny. Yeah, not a great result in the Carolyn Wilson intra-club game, <laughs> as I call Gold Coast versus North Melbourne clashes. That's good. That's good. How long did you work on that one? And I've, I've, I've sort of referred to those games previously as the C. Wilson intra-club. Um, yeah, not a good finish. And the word out there is that Pollock will be heading to a fourth club next season. So he's had a few clubs, hasn't he? I, I can see an upside in having Pollock in your team if you oh, need so some I. outside. If you need some outside run, but uh, Reece Lord certainly doesn't like the way he plays his football. Sometimes, you know, with you saw it with Stuart Dew and Jared Lyons. Perfectly good footballers don't necessarily always meet the criteria laid out by the senior coach, and they move on. I think that might be the case with Pollock. Um, you know what? When you looked up in the stand, you know who you saw? You saw Ben Brown, Ben Cunnington, Ben Jacobs, and Ben Dover, because Gold Coast are about to absolutely... Anyhow, I'll censor that. You completely telegraph that one, Fanny. Come on. You're better than that. Okay. All right. Not bad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. You're like my wife. You can finish my sentences. Well, I'll give you a sentence for North Melbourne. It's a death sentence for this season. Uh, I would say, you see, Adelaide actually don't want the season to end yet because they're desperate for a win. Correct. Correct. So we've really got North Melbourne and Hawthorne, who have now. They haven't put the queue in the rack. Hawthorne are just sort of battling from one injury to the next and have a bit of a case of the woe is me's. Whereas North Melbourne, and we've seen this before, once the season is completely beyond their grasp, the coach almost takes pride in playing every young player and being able to turn around and say, well, we can't win. Don't blame me. You know, we're putting guys under the knife, not the case this year because you can't really put them under the knife in hub life but basically that team that they selected was not their best team uh, half the reasons behind it half to see what the youngsters can provide and I think there's always a bit of motivation for a coach to say well you know don't expect us to win with that team well hang on I expect you to pick a better team then maybe you could win so don't well, expect anything from North for the rest of the year. Well, hang on a sec. Do they not have hospitals on the Gold Coast or something? I know they've got a lot of Pentecostal churches, but they do have uh, hospitals and surgeons, don't yeah. they? Yeah, but you surely if you're going in for those scrapes and attending to, you know, not, not injuries, but to tune-ups, you have your own medical team and 
you have your orthopedic surgeons that you're used to using. I, I don't know if you're just going to open up the yellow pages up on the Gold Coast, look up orthopedic surgeon and put a pin in the thing and go, oh, yeah, we'll go for Dr. Wilson. See, see how he goes. No, yeah, say how she goes. Who's Dr. Who's she? Caroline. Well, you said Dr. Wilson, yeah. Well, she's an expert yeah, in everything Wilson else. I thought brain. she'd be an expert on knee recos as well. Well, if it's an orthopedic surgeon, it'd be a mister, wouldn't it? Aren't, aren't surgeons mister? What are you saying? There's no female surgeons? Yeah. No, but the title... I wonder what a female surgeon is titled. So Doc, when, you're a, a, when you become... A, no. Is it? Because a male surgeon is mister, not doctor. But they're doctors. You know that, don't you? But their title is mister. Uh, Once you yeah. become a surgeon, yeah, you lose the tag doctor and you become even better than a doctor and you become a mister again. But if you just mister again, how does anyone know you're a doctor? You've got a scalpel in your hand and there's somebody underneath you. you. you you're, required to, um, you're required to permanently wear a white coat. <laughs> yes, a stethoscope. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you get around like Groucho Marx. You know what? I reckon um, we're like North Melbourne. I reckon we've had enough of this season as well. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by yeah, this not, comprehensive review. Uh, well, you know what? Main thing is that Gold Coast stopped the free fall and had a good win. So all of a sudden, some of those close losses can be become more palatable because they haven't finished the year like previous years by falling off the face of the earth. So well done, Gold Coast. And as for North Melbourne, well, you're done. You're dusted. And uh, one last point of interest, uh, as he scrambled desperately for something else to say about this game, is that uh, each side had an Anderson among the best players. <laughs> that, is a, that is brilliant. Oh, you're referring to Noah for Gold Coast. Yes. And Jed, who's actually in, in the... In the rubble that is the disaster of the second half oh, of the year. Oh, I know where Melbourne. this is going. Yeah, go on. No, I swear you, I'm serious. I'm just saying that in the disaster that has been their second half of the year, Jed Anderson is a bright, a bright spark. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was a poor mountaineer who barely kept his family fed. <laughs> you see, you, and I was thinking of Pamela Anderson jokes, but. <sighs> Uh, all right. Well, there's round 14 finished. Thank <laughs> God. I reckon we just move on here. And uh, we've got three games coming up to start round 15 on Tuesday and Wednesday. Let's get to doing them. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. Okay. As Footy Fest 2 gets right into gear, the footy goes on and on and on. Of course, day off on Monday. That is the one day off in the middle of this uh, well, it'll be September madness very shortly. But Tuesday sees two games, the first of which is Hawthorne playing Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, 5.40 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Fair to say this one, uh, not exactly uh, having everyone holding their breath, uh, two of the more disappointing teams, in fact. Well, arguably. hang on, hang on. This is it, Rowan. What do you mean? This is the one for Adelaide. This is oh, the yeah, grand right. final. Okay, correct. Yes. If Adelaide doesn't win this one, 
they will almost certainly become the first side to go winless since Fitzroy in 1964. Can they do it, Finey? You know, they can win. There's no doubt about it. Hawthorne lose pattern. Hawthorne, Skeksy, but still just better than Adelaide, I think. I think. Why do I think so? Let's be honest. Uh, they played two very different halves against Essendon. But I think against Adelaide, uh, that first half is enough to get you over the line. Uh, Adelaide's problem, they can't kick more than four or five goals because of their forward line simply doesn't have that player that can kick a goal more than a goal a game. Um, they'll be desperate to win this game. I'm going to tip Hawthorne because, you know, a bit of the reason I'm tipping Hawthorne, because for a lot, you know, for the last six weeks, every time you ask me, are Adelaide going to win a game? I say no. So I can hardly tip them. And they've really done nothing to make me change my mind. Hawthorne for mine. Well, every week we've had this discussion and I've maintained that Adelaide will win a game. So ask me who I'm tipping, Finey. Who are you tipping, Rowan? Hawthorne. <laughs> That's well done. <laughs> Hang on. Who do Adelaide play after Hawthorne? You're not, you're not saving it for some mega upset, are you? No, I, I, I think it's fair to say I've probably conceded defeat on that. Adelaide... Uh, <laughs> Adelaide has Richmond in the last round, so they won't, <laughs> they won't want to be waiting till then. I don't know. I didn't bother jotting down who they've got because, frankly, it could be University. and uh, they, <laughs> they University, might, University they, of Adelaide? Uh, yeah. Well, they might still be struggling to win then. Um, you, know, you know who they could play? Who? No, that's from WA. My favourite waffle team of all time. Uh, are they now defunct? Yeah, but they, I certainly would have barracked for them back in the day. Uh, I don't know. Who was it? Victorians. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I thought, yeah, we were going to go like Pakistani cricket teams or something, railways or, or someone like that. Oh, there, there was, there was, there was um, railways. When are we going to do these quickly? Yeah, we've both done it. This is the well. This is the. This I don't is know the if you've. Bit that you get. I don't know if you've noticed, but I actually haven't had a chance to talk about this game yet. Oh, do you really want to? Wouldn't Not you rather really. talk about railways versus Victorians? No, I was just going to do another cheap gag by saying, um, "Why am I tipping Hawthorne? Because they're Hawthorne, and for some okay. foolish reason, I have a uh, enormous." Um, uh, degree of respect for the Hawthorne Football Club. Uh, so I'm tipping them. And uh, actually, look, in all seriousness, that first half was reasonably impressive. Uh, they have had moments this year where they've looked all right. They just can't ever seem to sustain it for four quarters. Uh, I, don't, I think Adelaide are a chance, but I am staying with the Hawks to win that one. Good for you. Okay, all right. I guess we can move on to the next game then. The next game, second leg of the double header. Uh, it is at the Gabba at 8.10pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And it is West Coast taking on Essendon. What's going to happen in this one, Finey? It's a really interesting game because we don't hang West Coast for losing to Richmond. But we do note that that game was their first game away from WA and they failed 
in that test. And we also remember that at the start of the year, they got off to a very sketchy start when they were part of Hub Life in Brisbane. So Essendon could test their mettle. There's no question about it. I, I fear that the rumblings leading into this game suggest that we might not see Joe Danaher playing. I'm really interested to see how the two teams line up. Of course, I will tip West Coast. Two far into the season, too heavily involved in a battle for a top four spot to let this one slip. But I think Essendon might... Um, now, you, you're political, aren't you, Rowan? Well, reasonably, yeah. Uh, was it Don Tripp's Democrat Party that had the slogan, Keep the Bastards on? It was indeed, the Australian Democrats. And, of course, he played league football, Don Tripp. Uh, did he for play Fitzroy? for Richmond? Oh, Fitzroy. Okay. No, no, Fitzroy. But he, he played at the top level. That's that's quite interesting, isn't it? I remember old Donny Chip. But, yeah, I think he, I think they might do an Australian Democrats and keep the bastards honest. Well, I think the um, – I mean, really, the two spearheads, uh, whether either is in or out, will be critical, won't it? Whether Essendon plays Danaher and whether Josh Kennedy can come up from that concussion. Um, and you'd think it's probably unlikely, wouldn't you, with him? Well, he has had a bit of a record there, so they are very important selections, aren't they? I'm, I'm still going for West Coast just because of the the timing of the game. And you know, if if we're feeding him about West Coast being a premiership contender, they must beat Essendon. Yeah, well, they have to. They're uh, at this stage; they are fifth on the ladder, so uh, two points behind Richmond, who are in fourth spot. Uh, have a game in hand. Uh, on three of the four sides above them. So that's some comfort. But, yep, really need to make every post a winner, I think. Who else have they got after Essendon? The Eagles have uh, the Western Bulldogs, St Kilda and North Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, look, three three of them you'd think might test them. But, yeah, look, I'd, I mean, I, I think they're the second best side in it still, regardless of what happened against the Tigers, and I'm going for the Eagles as well. And that takes us to Wednesday, that traditional time slot of 7.10pm on a Wednesday evening. And that time slot sees Richmond, speak of the devil, taking on Fremantle at Metricon Stadium. And uh, given the form the Tigers showed against the Eagles finally, They've got a very ominous look about them, I think, really getting uh, that system flowing. And whereas against Essendon, they couldn't really convert the dominance into scores. That was the one area that really got cleaned up against the Eagles. And uh, they have done this previously. We talked about this uh, on Footyology Final Sign. It was the big difference in their form for the bulk of 2017 and then the superlative form they showed over the last four or five weeks of the home and away season then the finals and it was their capacity to convert those turnovers into scores so I think uh, they have discovered the secret again and I think they're ready to make sides really pay on the turnover 14-4 last week helps when you're accurate as well so I'm expecting them to have a pretty reasonable win over Fremantle, which, uh, of course, now has to leave home. Leave home disappointed, having uh, been reasonably 
comprehensively defeated by GWS and losing all chance of a finals berth in the process. Look, they've still been basically competitive. I don't think they'll necessarily get blown away, but you can't possibly tip them against the Richmond looking increasingly ominous. Uh, you said it all, really. I mean, Frio have been pretty honest, starting to fray at the edges a bit against uh, GWS Giants, but they've also shown this year an ability to um, regroup and be respectable. I must say, wasn't Nat Fife well held by the Giants? Uh, I heard a statistic that in the first half, his four possessions was the lowest since 2010. So we're talking about at the start of a career and what a career it's been. Richmond will equally look to quell his influence on the game. But regardless of that, Richmond win the game. And I think they're in pretty savage mood at the moment to get everything right. So watch this space. But uh, if I was a Fremantle supporter, I'd probably be watching this game through the um, slits between my fingers as I covered my eyes. Yeah, uh, it certainly uh, smells of danger. All right, uh, that that is the first three games of round 15. We will bring you previews of the rest uh, in our next episode, which will be recorded on Thursday morning. And, of course, we will review those three games in full and uh, gory detail. Uh, That's it for this week, Finey. Uh, A quick uh, plug for our marvellous sponsors. Okay, of course, you speak of the wonderful, and I mean wonderful, Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. We thank them for their support. And if you're in that 5K radius, um, show them that you are appreciative of making us, um, facilitating us and this program. Do support those who support us. And that includes if you're in the uh, market for a rebuild or a, a complete new build, West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. And also, I've changed, I've decided I would not have barracked for, I know who you would have barracked for in the Waffle, Rowan. Uh, Well, I would have barracked for the team my father barracked for. And uh, and in fact, the team my father barracked for is the reason I barracked for the AFL team I barracked for. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, there's no bombers over there, are there? No, but there's a team that wears black with a red sash. Yeah, there is. And they um, are also perennially unsuccessful. That's not Perth, is it? It is. They are actually called the Demons, but they are uh, black with a yeah, red yeah. sash. This is fascinating for our listeners, isn't it? I could also have been drawn to Swan Districts, with whom my grandfather played. Uh, he played for them. He, he did. My grandfather, uh, George Broomhall, was... Um, in fact, he was captain coach of their reserves uh, and played over 100 games for the reserves, but did play senior footy and was a member of Swan District's first ever uh, uh, waffle senior side because they didn't enter the competition uh, until, oh, gee, uh, I think late 20s. Um, anyway, yeah. Well, you definitely buried for them. Yeah, probably should. And Leon Baker played for them as well. So another good reason to barrack for Swans. All right, we're going. Um, thanks for your company, everyone. <laughs> hope your team had a win. And if they didn't, <laughs> I hope they're about to get one. And uh, we'll just toddle off and go and talk about something else completely and utterly irrelevant. We'll see you later. Bye.